This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Speaking of that union, Jay, got a union member back. You might remember him, Jay, from previous episodes, Mm -hmm. such as Menthol's self-titled album. Right. Hash's self-titled album. In the Aeroplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. Okay. And Bareback by the Hank Dogs. Where could we possibly be going for the fifth pick? Where could we be going? <laughs> what is, is the pattern here? My, my, <laughs> my computer in my head is trying to figure it out. This is the pattern I figured out. We started out with the Hank Dogs, which is uh, the like uh, Americana-ish, uh, folky stuff. Yeah. Then we went into Nutramilk Hotel, which takes that and then twists it. And, and adds this layer of uh, indie rock noise. And then we go to Hash, which is sort of this weird uh, early 90s uh, alt-rock sound. And then we go to Menthol, which is even louder and weirder. And so we just get louder and louder. And now we are in full loudness. <laughs> so Eric Norlander, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Can you please... Well, before I begin... Well, no, okay. Introduce this, and then I'll introduce our, our our special guest also for this one. So tonight we'll be talking about uh, Warren's third album, Dog Eat Dog, which came out in 1992. Uh, and and uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it. There's a lot to say about this album. There is indeed. And, and because there is a lot to say about this album, we had to bring in Mr. Chip Midnight, who has interviewed members of Warrant over the years, has pictures, I'm sure, throughout their career at various hair lengths. Uh, how many how many times have you seen Warrant, do you guess, Chip? I would say that's the band that I've seen the most ever. Um, I tried to count. I saw them earlier this year. I tried to count probably 20 times-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood. Wow. Nice. Across I don't all, even... all the lineups. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've, seen nice. the, I've seen the the classic lineup. I've seen the um, Eric's wearing the the ultraphobic shirt, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen the ultraphobic and belly to belly lineup. I've seen the Jamie St. James fronted lineup and the Robert Mason lineup. Wow. The Jamie St. James lineup. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that three times. I think. Oh my god! Well, at least twice. At least twice. Can you name all 23 studio and touring members? <laughs> oh, uh, man. I could, come, I could probably to. come close. Yeah. I, I bet you could come close. <laughs> We're not going to put you through that. Um, so for this record, uh, it, it, this is this is like, is this the what you would call the, the, the classic lineup for this record? With yes. Janie Lane on vocals, Joey Allen well, and Eric Turner on guitar. Jerry Dixon this on bass, the last Steven Sweet album, on drums. Right? This was the last of the the run with the original lineup until the reunion, correct? Yep. yep. Yeah. 
Now, whether those people all played on the record, I think is up for debate, but that was the lineup. <laughs> hey, their names on the album, you know, that's like saying H really didn't play on some records, but you know, they, they were notorious, I think, for at least replacing guitar players. So, yeah, for solos and stuff. Yeah. So, I'll be okay. honest. I know that you all are very familiar with Warrant. I've never seen Warrant live. And this is the first time I've listened to a Warrant album all the way through. Wow. Yes. Now, I'm very familiar with the singles. Like, I know all the singles for Warrant. You're you're an American male that grew up in the 80s, yes? Yes. <laughs> you had cable television. I said I, I watched all the videos, and, I, and I, I never bought a Warrant album. You were never Warrant curious? No. <laughs> I... I uh, I'll be honest, the, like the uh, in terms of '80s hair glam metal, whatever you want, hard rock, whatever you want to call it, the only records that I bought were like Van Halen, which I don't even think belongs in that category, to be honest, and Guns N' Roses. I didn't buy anything else when, at, at that time. Now I own a lot of it. Also, I, I was a, I didn't have a lot of money. Like I I had like chore money, and I was buying like one cassette a week, and I had to be. You know, I didn't have a lot of money either, but I spent some of it on war. I know you did. I know you did. <laughs> One penny, Columbia House, man. How many? <laughs> um. So, let little bit of history on Warrant, just so everybody is aware. I mean, I know they're a big band, um, but they were a Los Angeles band, although they all came from different parts of the country. Um, as I mentioned, that was the 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 main lineup of the band. Um, they signed to Columbia Records in 88, and they put out Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinkin' Rich in January of 1989. It was produced by Bo Hill, who was like an uber producer of hard rock albums at the time. That had a bunch of singles on it. Down Boys, Heaven, Big Talk, Sometimes She Cries. And then a year later, they followed it up with the huge cherry pie album which had the single cherry pie i saw red uncle tom's cabin and then the fourth single was blind faith um i think if anybody knows a, a warrant song it's probably cherry pie right that's that's the one that is in the in the unfortunately of, yes yes yeah. <laughs> and from what i remember that was like the last song written like the the label wanted a single because Un- it was going to be called uncle tom's cabin that record yeah and then the label was like yeah we kind of need a single and they wrote that and that became the the title of the album and i don't and think that they uh, never, their career never recovered there <laughs> <laughs> was like a shooting star that just exploded and you i would say honestly though you could argue that because of that song that's why they are headlining five thousand seat outdoor amphitheaters this summer oh sure but i yeah. think it tor- tormented Janie lane until Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Till his death. So there's that part. So this album that we're going to be talking about, Dog Eat Dog, and I, and I think now uh, produced by Bo Hill. Before you leave the cherry pie thing. Oh, sorry. Uh I believe CC DeVille plays a guitar on that. Yes. Yeah. Back to my point about you never know who's playing guitar on these records. There are a bunch of guests on a number yeah. of the records. Gene Lane's brother plays on it on the Uncle Tom's Cabin. It's yeah, yeah. He came from a very musical family, and by you know reading about his history, he was a very musical child. Like age five, he's playing drums, he's playing guitar, he's playing piano. 
Um, so this album was produced by Michael Wagner or Wagner. Uh, he was a German um, producer, mixer, worked with a ton of bands like Motley Crue, Wasp, Overkill, Great White, Striper, Poison, Keel, Alice Cooper, Extreme, Megadeth, Ozzy Osbourne, Dokken, Metallica, White Lion, Skid Row, and Janet Jackson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One of well, these does not seem like the others. <laughs> that he did the single version of Janet Jackson's Black Cat, which if you remember that song, is a very like yeah. hard rock sounding song. That's his like only pop Wagner production. Song. Sounds it's like a Michael Wagner song. Exactly. And doesn't there you Nuno, go. Bet- Nuno Betancourt from Extreme plays on that song, I think. That wow. Makes, okay. I didn't know that. There you go. Makes sense, though. He actually retired just a few years ago, so uh, quite a career. Um, this album was, I believe, the last album to come out on Columbia. The next one would come out on CMC, that being ultraphobic. Um, there are two singles released, Machine Gun and The Bitter Pill. This did go gold. This wasn't, you know, I know there was a lot of talk about in previous uh, episodes and then also just in the general dis- discussion about the the drop in sales for 80s hard rock and metal bands this did go gold um but there's the famous story i think that Janie lane has told this or, or told this many times back in the day about how they were in the or he was in the records st- or the record label uh offices of columbia records in los angeles and at one time there was a warrant poster that was on the wall that was framed. And then he went back and they, and they had taken it down and Allison chains was on the wall. And he was like, okay, this is uh, not gonna, this is not gonna go well. And they're basically, they lost their budget for promotion and marketing and, you know, all that stuff think, sort of happened. I, I think that was the meeting he was going to. It was like, okay, what's the, what's the marketing plan for the, the for the new record? And they were like, there isn't one. And they were like, look at that poster. <laughs> The marketing plan is to spend money on Alice in Chains dirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we got some comments over at Patreon. We'll share the poll results in just a moment. Darren Svedson said, interesting pick. I found the 92-94 period fascinating to see how the hair metal bands of the late 80s tried to adapt to the grunge movement. Poison's Native Tongue, another good example with varying results never listen to this beyond machine gun the machine gun single curious to hear whether it's time whether time has been kinder to it rest in peace Janie lane uh i'm not going to read your comments chip because uh i'm sure you want to share save them for the show phil fleming said seriously underrated album warrant showed that they were better than cherry pie in every way heavier and significantly deeper lyrics Janie lane showed Great talent as a songwriter. Pretty scary that a lot of what is being described in April 2031 could very well happen by that. And then Gavin said, cool pick. I had this in the day and it never got under my skin. I thought that might be timing. It might be time to come back out. Uh, it's still not hitting me. Uh, uh, he, I think he said, like the artwork, a bit like Killdozer. <laughs> Glad to have revisited, it, but it's an EP for me. Okay. Like I said, we'll get to the poll results uh, at the end of the show. Jay, we're revisiting this record. Tell me one thing that works for you on Warrant's Dog Eat Dog. I, I got to flip the script on you, Tim. Oh, no. You're gonna, we're going to get a lot of, I think a, 
a good amount of love from the other three of us, I would assume. <laughs> You've never heard this record. We have to right. have you go first. Okay. I figured that was going to happen. And, and, and level set us here. Like, okay. Give us a give us a baseline. <laughs> okay. So from what I heard of Warrant before this, I mm-hmm. liked what I heard. I like Jane Lane's vocals. He's got a good range in terms of what he how he delivers. I also feel like there was always something a little bit different with regards to warrant. Like his lyrics would go in different directions that I was not expecting. Um, and I think a good example on this record is like April, 2031, which is a, 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 an album track that uh, is completely unpredictable in terms of the rest of the record. Like you come out with machine gun and hole in the wall and you're like, okay. And then April, 2031 hits. And you're like, what is this? prog rock song sounding lyrical thing happening here like this is something i would expect on a sticks album from like the 70s but it's it's actually a pretty cool sounding song One of the things I really like about that song and about this album in general is there is a lot of interesting choices that are made um, throughout the record in terms of production um, on bitter pill. There's like this queen esque interlude that happens um, uh, that is totally out of uh, off the wall. Um, I like the talk box guitar that they use on the whole in my wall uh there's a lot of interesting production stuff happening on this record strings that are that come in and add another layer to songs um it's a pretty diverse record which i enjoyed too in terms not only in terms of subject matter like you get what you would consider like typical hair band quote unquote songs but then you get some different stuff like i mentioned the april 2031 um andy warhol was right and and some of these other like just a little bit elevated in terms of their subject matter as opposed to just about like partying and girls and and then the power ballads where everything is sad uh there's a little bit more happening with regards to that now i don't know who plays you guys are making me question who played guitar on this um (laughs) There is a liner note that says no artist except those listed performed on this album in any capacity whatsoever. I guess that was in, in response to people questioning whether Joey Allen and Eric Turner were playing everything on the previous two records. So, so I think Bo, Bo Hill was sort of famous for bringing in other musicians to play on stuff. And he, he brought in Mike Slammer 
I think it's how you say his last name, who played the guitar solos on most of the Dirty Rotten, Filthy Stinkin' Rich, and I think even some on Cherry Pie. And I think at, at this point in their career, they're sort of like, I, I'm not sure back in the day that they ever denied it, um, but they taught, I mean, you can find all kinds of YouTube videos and interviews with them in the last five or 10 years where they, they flat out said, Bo brought some people in just to nail those solos because uh, Mike could do it in in an hour and it would have taken us a lot longer and then we sat down with mike and he taught us how to play it um but yeah. i but i think for this record they were finally like clear of they had a new producer and i think that probably put the onus back on them to to play everything that would make Got sense it. as a michael wagner production if you've ever listened to interviews of him he's a pretty like no bullshit kind of guy like he works hard with the band he's got like a signature sound but like he's very much about like making the band do the work. So that would make sense. I also just think that there are some great rockers like Bonfire and All My Bridges Are Burning are just really good rockers. Jingling gets really up there with his vocal too. Like in the chorus of All My Bridges Are Burning, I mean, he is really high. Uh, it's impressive. And reading about his history that he had been such a musical child and I don't know you call him a prodigy, but he was definitely you know, from a young age identified as someone because of the fact that he had like, I think f four or five older siblings that all were musical. He came from a pretty musical family that he was like performing under an, like, what was it? Mitch dynamite. I think he at 11 years old, he was out playing in clubs under the name Mitch dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just in Akron, Ohio, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, and I didn't realize the, the, the Ohio connection until now. Um, so that was interesting to learn about as well. But I, yeah, I think, I mean, so like I said, I'd never really dug into a warrant record. And and to be honest, I've never really dug into a lot of, you know, I've never listened to like a whole winger album. I've never listened to a whole, I've listened to all, like all the Motley Crue records. You know, that's, that's a band that I've, I've you're setting up our next one. podcast. Serious. I know, I know where it's just Tim, Tim is exposed. Tim here is all, all of chips and Jay's favorite albums for the first time. I heard about this band. They're called Skid Row. What can you tell me about them? Uh, this Poison uh, band. You're going to get real familiar with Mike Wagner. Okay. And Bo Hill, apparently. Yeah. So yeah. that's some of the stuff that I enjoyed. Um, some of the songs that I enjoyed. Some of the some of the aspects of this record that I enjoyed. Jay. Yeah. With them, since you're more familiar, I'm curious. Going back to this record what uh what you find what works for you yeah i think over the years uh i've distilled it down to the amount of range that's on this album um it's unique not just for a warrant album or even for the genre but i think it's also unique in like this could probably only happen in the year like 1992 and that you get like a light band like right is about they're almost a power pop metal band, right? Mm -hmm. Before this record. They're very melodic. Um, all about hooks, pop songwriting. And then they sh take a shift to a darker sound sometimes on this record. So you've got this really unique combination of light and dark here. That then between the way he sings and the production and you know, some of the guitar stuff and some of the drum grooves, you get like heavy stuff, you get bright stuff, you get somber, you get contemplate contemplative, you get nostalgic, exuberant. 
I mean, shit, it's prophetic at one point. It's serious. It's kind of goofy and fun. Like it runs the full spectrum across this record. It's kind of amazing. I don't know that I really processed that, you know, the first thousand times I listened to it, but now setting it aside for a long time and going back to it, that's what really hit me is just how much ground they're able to cover by coming in as a, like I said, like a pop metal band, but then open themselves up to, you know, almost, I think instead of them, I don't frame this as like them trying to make a grunge record. I think it's very much like the Molly Cruz left title album where it's like, they likely felt like no longer beholden to a certain sound, to a certain producer. Like they could just do whatever they wanted to do. And I think Jane Lane can be a dark guy at, at times. Um, and he brought that to the record. I mean, it was just another flavor that he was able to bring that I think on the previous two records was, it was there a little bit, but not like it is here. And I think that's makes for just a super interesting listen. It's very dynamic. You don't know what you're going to get from song to song. Um, like you kind of mentioned, like you get in a groove with the first two songs and then they hit you with April 2031. You're like, holy shit, where are we going here? <laughs> and it kind of keeps that pace going with Andy Warhol was right. And you're sort of taking this like, you know, very like introspective, you know, kind of dark turn with these like kind of poignant moments. And then all of a sudden it shifts back to Bonfire, which is like this almost party song. You know, you kind of go on this ride of like dark light throughout the whole thing and you get all these different flavors. I mean, at one point they sound like Judas Priest on Inside Out. Another song, they kind of sound a little bit like Jane's Addiction, not in like a derivative way, but I think in a more like just being open to doing whatever they want to do. And I think it holds together because of Janie Lane, one, his songwriting approach, his vocal delivery, and and just talent. I mean, he's an incredible singer, which I think is another thing that I didn't really realize until I really spent time with this album, just how good of a singer he is. Also, like, you know, he has this way of doing, he does a lot of call and response um, type vocals on this record that I think work really well too. It's just another one of those things where it helps tie the record together. Um, I think the drums on this album are also really good. Uh, they're very punchy and dynamic, but they fit the songs. They do a, a pretty standard, like for them, like go to the ride and the chorus, which is that with Jane Lane's vocals and like all the layering they do with the vocals kind of gives you that big chorus and cues you in of where the hook is. So there's like all these little, you know, things that they had been doing that they brought to this record that then holds it together as they kind of take this journey through, like, I think at the, probably at that moment, like all the different creative ideas they wanted to explore and basically had the budget to do it. And the label wasn't going to tell them no. And they just went for it. And, and, uh, yeah, that's, I think the, that range is what I end up liking the most. Okay. Eric, you brought this record to us. Yes, sir. So I'm sure that means you've got some positive things to say about it. What works for you? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think looking back on it now, 30 years or whatever, and and then certainly even a little bit more into the eighties when I was a teenager and, and these bands were coming out or just as I was, you know, graduating high school, 
I think the Warren stuff, especially when they hit this run of, of the third, fourth and fifth album, which certainly by the fourth and fifth album, not too many people were paying attention, unfortunately. But I think that they musically weathered the shifting patterns in, in, in you know, in, in music at that time better than anybody else. They were just carrying the baggage of being Warrant, you know, um, like and I've never really let this album get too far out of rotation. It's probably the one I returned to that and the one that came after it, uh, Ultraphobic, uh, in the Warrant catalog. Um, because you can put it on from start to finish. And, and as you guys were saying, it, it brings so much to the table. Um, <clears throat> and the thing is, you know, like I said, the, it, there are parts of this album, uh, the bands that I was kind of picturing in my head as I was, as I was really listening to it to take some notes for this was, you know, it, it felt like if Janie Lane could have been, you know, Saigon kick, he would have liked that, you know, like, in, but he was dragging the warrant, you know, name and the warrant uh, uh, persona with him. But as he entered the nineties, it seems like what they're trying on this album was much more varied and diverse um, than just trying to update or, or, or keep their sound, you know, slightly updated uh, to, to not lose their market share. You know, they really were trying things that, uh, you know, possibly the the freedom of the popularity of the second album bought them and trying to stay in 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 the times. But, you know, they just were not able to shake that cherry pie, uh, you know, that cherry pie persona that they had with them. But I I, I love this album and everything you guys were saying, I, I agree with. I mean, the thing that always comes back to me is no matter whether it's you know, one of the heavier songs. And and even then, it, you know, kicks off heavy with Machine Gun. It's not till, what, Bonfire that you get another similar song. So you get, you know, kind of uh, Hole in the Wall, you know, Hole in My Wall. It's kind of like where you can start to hear like, oh, they're trying something a little alternative now. Okay. Uh, and then April 2031, and especially Andy Warhol was right. Those with the, with the children's voices and then the, the, spoken parts you know that was kind of like queens ish a little bit you know mm -hmm. um, i just think you know by the time you get back to bonfire and then it goes back and then it goes back into things like bitter pill and and you know bridges are burning it's not until you get even later on again till inside out or uh quicksand so there's very there's only about four really heavy songs on the album the rest of it is trying experimenting with different things and i think you know, for me, a lot of it, most of it works. But the one thing I want to say is it works primarily. And this is why everything you're saying about the guitar players and stuff. It's to me, that's interesting history of the band. But to me, the band is really about Janie Lane's songwriting, his vocals, and especially the choruses. Nobody could do a chorus like Warren. And I, I will defend that, you know, thought to the death like the, of, of all the bands in in that genre nobody could do choruses like like warren and really it's i think it's more that nobody could do choruses like Janie lane um because every every song on here whether it's a heavy one whether it's one that i noted oh maybe that's the weakest song on the album i would still sing along to that chorus in a heartbeat like after the first run of the chorus it's in your it's like an earworm you know, like by the time he says it again, you you're definitely humming along with it. If you don't know the words yet, you certainly got it in your brain. 
And I just think that's genius. Like that's, that's to me, that's an album that you then take forward 30 years later and you're still, you can put it on and instantly sing along to it. You know, that's, that that's what works for me. That, that it's, it's just a singable album from start to finish that just worms its way into your head almost instantly. And I really credit him for, for pretty much all of that. Chip. I think you've all made some awesome points. Um, I was reading about the album, and so I read that it was recorded in like January and February or something like that and released in August. I mean, I feel like that's a little bit unheard of these days, right, to to record and have something out so fast. Uh, that may have been a little pressure from the label to get something out quick while the iron was not really hot anymore, but um, lukewarm, trying to get the last of, of what they could out of out of the band. Um my history with this band is so, so long and embedded and, and like, I, I can't remember, I can't remember. I mean, to me, like, I feel like I read that this was Warren's attempt at getting heavier, right? And Machine Gun is, is a heavier song. Um, and I know that a lot of, like, I read a lot of heavy, like the metal sludge message board and this album always comes up as the, uh, as the um, kind of somebody made in the comments, like Poison's Native, like, like the grunge album. Uh, to me, this was like a natural progression for the band. Like, I this doesn't this doesn't me, seem to me like they were trying to do anything that they weren't already on the path to do. Like, I don't think that they really changed what they were trying to do. I think it was they were making steps with each album, um, you know, to to move forward. Uh, yeah, I, 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 what I mentioned in the comments on the on the Patreon site is that. I discovered, and we've talked about this many times on the podcast, Nirvana, whenever that was right around Nevermind. And that changed my life. Like it literally changed my life. I saw Brett Michaels three days before I saw Nirvana. And after seeing Nirvana, like I, I stopped listening to hair metal, but Warrant was the exception. And you took so, off the bandana. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and so, but Warrant was the exception. Um, you know, Dog Eat Dog, I thought was a great album. Um, ultraphobic belly to belly volume one there were never was a volume two yeah. but those those are great records they're not they're not the same band i mean it's Janie lane and like a couple of the guys but joey joey saw the writing on the wall when this album came out they did a tour and he left the band and went and got microsoft certified and became a server guy uh only to return you know 20 25 years later but he he saw what was coming and so he he tapped out um the one thing i was so Again, like not really remembering the CD was was Sad Teresa on the CD or was that something that was added later? Yeah. Was it, it was okay. Yeah. So yeah. I was thinking about that. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I've seen them so many times, and in the early days, I was outside of a, one of their shows. They were opening for Paul Stanley, and uh, oh yeah, I was, yeah, I remember that tour? I, I was waiting out by the tour bus, and there was a bunch of Warrant fans who had seen him a few times, and somebody handed me a cassette a dubbed cassette and it had an early version of heaven with like a slightly different intro. I mean, not, nothing crazy. Maybe it was electric instead of acoustic acoustic. It was just slightly different. Mm -hmm. It had a song called down the road, which you can probably find on YouTube. Um, but sad Teresa was a song on that demo cassette. And that was from like when the first album came out. So that, wow. that was a little bit of an older song. And so when I went back and listened to this album to kind of prepare for this, 
that song to me sticks out as just knowing that it was a little bit older and doesn't quite fit in with the rest of the song. It was something that I'm assuming they're pretty happy with and proud of and wanted it to get a formal release. And for, for whatever reason, it didn't end up on the first two records. But that song was an older song for sure. goes back to plain jane yeah the pre-warrant band that janie lane was in in florida when they moved out to uh la back in like the early 80s jay mentioned it um and i mentioned in my comments that that hollywood so far so good i mean that intro that is jane says by jane's addiction i mean like (laughs) i actually tested it tonight when i was driving around i was singing the the lyrics to, to jane says and it's the same it's the same guitar part. He also it's gets in the thing. same range vocally as Perry Farrell. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think they he alters the melody enough that you don't go, yeah. oh, oh yeah. this is just a yeah. rip off. And and like I said, you guys have all mentioned the diversity of the record. There's heavy, there's soft, there's mid. Um you know, Eric mentioned this. I Janie's songwriting, I mean, that that is that is my comfort food. That is my favorite style of music. Uh, but Janie really did stand above everybody. I mean, that's the band, like I said, that I stuck with throughout the 90s while I dropped everybody else. And going back and listening to some of those albums, the Poison albums, and even the John Karabi Motley Crue records, like I don't love those records. Yeah. I think they're okay, but like I love the Warrant records. I lo- like, so all my bridges are burning. And on, I got to look at uh, from Cherry Pie, um, Mr. Rainmaker, and um, Bed of Roses. Like those are. Those are like real, they're not like hair metal songs. They're really, I don't know what you call them. They're really good. This is not, this is not the band I'm thinking of, but like if the Goo Goo Dolls had released those songs, like they would have been big, like yeah. radio hits. They right. they weren't hair metal songs. And that, I think that shows his, his diversity and his, this how he could write, just he could write really great. And as Eric mentioned, great memorable songs that you would, that would just stick with you. Yeah, I, I wrote, <clears throat> I wrote like when when I was re-listening to Bitter Pill, I was like, oh, better than heaven. And then I get to Let It Rain, and I'm like, better than Bitter bitter Pill, you know, like <laughs> probably the best hair metal ballad ever, you know, and it shows up on well, Warrant record at a point where, you know, the musical landscape was shifting completely out from under them. That song would have been, that would have been like my, you know, like in every high school uh you know uh, dance or or yearbook gra- graduation you know theme i think uh, my high school graduation song was every rose has its thorn you know but th- this these songs had they been three years earlier four years earlier forget it you know and and uh that's what kills me about this record it is just so good um 
And and as, as you mentioned, you know, like if the Google Goo Dolls had done something like that, I'm thinking, you know, some of these songs should be rediscovered by, uh, you know, certain, and this is going to sound maybe silly, but like certain country performers could transform these songs into mega hits the way the way modern country is now, where it's not really mm. kind of country, but there's more, you know, orchestral flourishes and different things. You know, they could take these songs and and and. I don't know. They they'd have a giant hit out of something like "Let It Rain." Forget it. I, I yeah. feel like if Janie was still around, that's that the path path he would have taken as a songwriter and like worked with country artists. I mean, I, I I think you're right. Like it's 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 about the songs and the songwriting and the melodies and stuff. And it doesn't matter if it's a country song or a power pop song. He just he wrote really good stuff. And yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it's funny you um. You had mentioned before we started taping, uh, you know, having seen uh, or maybe you even mentioned when we started taping, having seen all the different lineups in Jamie St. James and and uh, Robert, is it Mason, right? Yeah. Robert Mason. And I listened to those albums, you know, especially in the last week or so getting ready for this, just to gauge my own take on like, you know, that difference between Janie Lane and then Warrant as a whole. And those guys are fine. You know, they're those are decent albums, but they're instantly kind of like just albums of that genre. And then, you know, it, then I kind of slid over and I put on the Janie Lane solo album, uh, back down to one. I went on YouTube and I listened to some of the unreleased Jabberwocky stuff. And I even put on saints of the underground and instantly, like, again, every chorus on every one of those things, you're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's Janie Lane. Like that's all due to Janie Lane. Tim, Tim, these are all albums you got to hear. <laughs> <laughs> So I was just looking at the lineups because you're mentioning all the different singers. Um, so Jerry Dixon is the only member that's been with the band basically the entire time, right? Yes. Uh, no, Eric Turner, I thought. Yeah, I don't have any replacement. Oh, okay. But... Eric Turner. Oh, so, okay. You're right. So, so Jerry, I, you know, uh, um, no speculation or anything, but Jerry has not been touring with the band the last couple couple years that I've seen him. Uh, Robbie Crane, who has been in, Vince Neal's band and 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 I think he was in Rat and he's he's a he's one of those guys who fills in and plays with a little bit of everybody. Um, he's been the bass player for quite a long time. Jerry pops up like when they do. Um, I some I saw them do a a a, a preview interview at, when I saw them this summer. They played at this uh this little town in Ohio I had actually never heard of called Wilmington, somewhere between here and Dayton. Uh, and they every year they do something called Rock the Block and they bring in hair metal bands and weren't played and they did a uh they did a stream to promote the show and jerry was part of the stream and i thought this is awesome jerry's gonna rejoin them and i think he plays like one or two shows a year with them but um yeah i don't know what's going on i don't know if there's there's a health issue or whether he's just not up for t the touring lifestyle or what but um but i think i think eric's i think eric's been in the band the entire time yeah, I just I just checked the uh, the Wikipedia and Eric's Eric's the only original member. Jerry Dixon actually came in after Chris Vincent was there was um, in the band for like a year, and Adam Shore was the original lead singer. Josh Lewis was the guitar player. Max Asher was the drummer. Those guys were gone within like a year, and those guys left at the same time that Janie Lane and Steven Sweet left Plain Jane. So like the people who left Plain Jane sort of filled the spots of the people who left the spots in Warrant before Warrant was really Warrant. They were just, you know, a, a new band practicing in, in Los Angeles at that point. 
I just um, want to quickly say what uh, Eric, I agree with you a million percent. Um, especially the last warrant record, which is now like six or seven years old. It feels like it's only like a couple years old, but um, yeah. that I, I think that's a really good rock record. But it's not a warrant record, even right. though everybody in the band but the singer is warrant. It's not a warrant record. I mean, right. the only song on that album that to me that sounds remotely like something you could have heard in the past was um, that Big Sandy. Okay, it's just a you know that's just like a big power pop, just a yeah cheesy lyrics and stuff. But that's about the only thing that really I think could have fit in on, on an older warrant record. But um, but I, I I like the record a lot. But I if I if I were to play it for Tim right now, like and say. Do you know who this is? You would never guess it was Warren. Yeah. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, all those other ones that Janie did on, on his own or on the side, they're instantly that I would, I would put those in a mix with the warrant songs instantly. Back down Tim, one is a great record. I've never heard that. I need to check it out. Tim, did you come into this for the first time? Was there any moment when you were listening to this that you thought, Oh yeah, I can hear, and I'm going to do quote marks here. The grunge influence. <laughs> there were some like chord choices in, for example, the hole in the, my wall that were they just sounded like minor-ish chords. Yeah, I wouldn't say they were grunge. They just sounded like darker chords. There's nothing to really hear on here that sounds grungish, you know. There's no like drop C or drop D, right? You know, stuff happening. Um, there's nothing that's that I would connect to say Soundgarden or Alice in Chains, partly because the fact that the vocals are so good. <laughs> it's the way I guess the way I put it. Like they're they're all obviously like Jingling can sing. And then also there's just a lot of like doubled backing vocals, like big, like you mentioned the call and response stuff that happens, which yeah. just does not happen in, right. in grunge or alt rock in any way. Right. And that's when you guys kept bringing up power pop, like that kept coming to mind, like, wow, this is like, I wonder what would have happened if instead of, you know, I, I'm guessing ultraphobic, I don't know that record, but I'm guessing that's where they kind of, went a little more quote unquote grungy, but what if they had gone the opposite direction be like, we're going to make a power pop record. Yeah. Like we're going to go the Matthew sweet route as opposed to, or the posies route as opposed to um, Allison chains or Soundgarden or, or whatnot. There's a song on ultraphobic and, and I don't think it's a real grungy song, but that family picnic sort of has there's yeah. elements of that, that has a little, uh, the probably the closest thing to grunge that Warren did. I remember that coming to the studio, that, that album cover, and just being like, "What? The, 
what is this? <laughs> but I, I wanted you to, I wanted you to touch on that. Cause like, again, you know, we have a tendency as a, just a broad pop culture, like just dismiss things. And this gets dismissed now is like, Oh, this is weren't trying to be grunge. Like you listen to the record for the first time and like you boil it down to like, maybe on one song, they chose some minor chords. <laughs> like if that makes you grunge to use occasionally use a minor chord. Okay. I Otherwise, think the Queens right thing think, makes more sense. Yeah, well, that's I what I was going to say. Don't you feel like the grunge thing is just a more, uh, you know, or a misinformed shorthand for a time period. And, and so for the, for the people that don't have the, maybe the musical vernacular to think of something like, Oh, this sounds more like Matthew Sweet or Jellyfish or the Posies, or there's a bit that sounds like Queensryche or Saigon yeah. Kick, or you know, like I guess they were doing. I think they genuinely seemed to want to get into that early '90s scene that, like, like the Hash record, or or again, like a Saigon Kick record, or something weirder that had some heaviness to it. The Jane's Addiction, you know, riff, you know, things like that that's not grunge but it all got lumped in in a cultural vernacular right, because right, grunge was the thing right. that rose to the top and so people just use this simplified shorthand that oh this is the warrant trying to be grunge I'm, and it's like no i don't think it is they were but i do think they were trying to you know enter into the slipstream of 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 the 90s but taking more that that weird power pop route you know and and yeah, yeah there's a lot of when I listen to like the material issue albums, there's stuff where you, that's not such a big leap to get to, like, if you marry that with the hair metal choruses, you're like, Oh yeah, that's the warrant album. Right. For sure. I mean, there's enough and en enough enough songs that sound like they can right. be pure power pop. Right. And not have any connection to hair bands, even though they're lumped in with that. Yeah. So, Jay, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? Well, I found myself even at the time when I had the album initially, you know, bought it, was spending a lot of time with it. And even now having the same um, just sense that the songs that are maybe in their safe zone, you know, the horror call back to the previous record a little bit more are less experimental. Uh, just they're very good for like on another record, but on this record, I find them to be a little bit like skippable. And I'm talking about machine gun for one, because the chorus of that song to me is like a rewrite of cherry pie with like a heavier riff um, bonfire, which is, it would be great on cherry pie, but on this record, like I kind of just want to get to bitter pill. And the other one is let it rain, which I think is an excellent power ballad. It's just, it's just very traditional. And on this record, I'm liking when they're stepping out of that a bit. And I want to get to those songs. You know, I found myself wanting to get to those songs that are, that are pushing the boundaries a little bit more. I still think, like I said, that material's really strong. I don't think these songs are like stinkers. And I think they did a good job spacing them out. You know, I think the record has a very, I like the way it's sequenced. I think it's, a little unconventional um but i think they do a good job of like dropping those anchors in to to like call back to you know kind of the classic sound that that made them who they are and they put them like one at the beginning of the record one in the middle of the record one towards the end 
So that's really the only thing that doesn't work for me. Um, you know, the rest of it is just, it's a trip, man. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's interesting because you, you mentioning about the more traditional sounding stuff versus the more ex um, experimental, I guess I'll call it. Like, I'm, it makes me think about like, what if there was a whole album built around April 2031, like a concept album right. of the future? Right. Like, could they have pulled it off? I bet Janie Lane could have. <laughs> I don't know if the rest of the band could have, would have been going in that direction with him. Like, well, I think some of the people might have left early. <laughs> it made me think along the same lines of like, boy, I bet they had a double album in them at this time. Like, one album that's the more april 2031 Andy warhol's right the bitter pill like this kind of um progressive you know a little darker contemplative sort of thing and then another record that's more straight up you know still heavy but more the right. sort of anthemic rock stuff um kind of in the way that you know guns and roses did around this time sure I'm wondering if they could pull off something like that they did it. Some of the stuff in that respect reminding me of like King's X, where it's like, oh, this is unusual. It's super poppy, but there's like some weird stuff happening here. And I'm like kind of liking it, but I'm also unsure of what exactly is going on. Like, what? There's what's with these children? Why are they on this record? <laughs> I love that stuff, man. Even that stuff, like at the time and even now, like when I, like you were saying, Eric, the little spoken parts, the little, the, the first verse the little kid sings in Andy Horrell's right that like yeah gets me every time yeah yeah my wife walked in through and she's like what the hell is that and I'm like that's Warren she's like you know the cherry pie band I'm like yeah <laughs> yeah that's what I'm saying it's so good it's so and, and I think I think it's to me the surprising factor you know of it that, that a band because I, I probably like everybody else was tuning out of that scene especially like you know the cherry pie video was funny and and uh you know uncle tom's cabin is great but you know at the same time everything in the early 90s was coming out and you could just feel that that was kind of falling by the wayside but at least for me i'm always going to give a band that i loved the benefit of the doubt and check out what they're putting out you know so i'm i'm sure i got this cd like as soon as i knew it was out to get and then it was so surprising you know, because those sounds were not too far afield of, of, you know, a certain type of music that I always have an affinity for. And that and that extra kick of being experimental and a little weird. And, you know, it just it was just great. And and again, I, I really do feel like had they, you know, you mentioned King's X. I mean, if there was a way for them to put masks on and call themselves a different band, you could go see them open for King's X playing these songs and you would have had a great time. It's that right. if it was called the Warrant King's X tour, you would have been like, what the hell? You know, I, I feel and, and I could be mistaking them with like a 100 other bands, but I feel like at one point that they said that they sent off maybe Machine Gun to label uh, to, to radio stations without putting the artist on it. And that it was getting some plays. And then when people heard it was Warrant, they stopped playing it. I could be totally thinking of a different band because I feel like that that was a pretty common story. A lot of a lot of those bands would say that if you didn't know that it was Warrant, you would play it. But once you find out it was Warrant, it was off limits kind of thing. Right. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, because it's 92. Guns N' Roses is flying high on Use Your Illusion. They would have 
three years of singles for that record. So clearly, like, they could continue. And if they hadn't imploded because of Axl Rose, maybe they would have just dominated the decade. I think because of Cherry Pie, it just puts such a stamp on the band that they couldn't have that same sort of evolution where Axl Rose can sit at a grand piano and do Live or Let Die, you know, and make it sound or do it. A 12 minute video where he's singing to dolphins. Exactly. They were allowed that sort of leeway. Whereas if, you know, if Cherry Pie doesn't happen and Uncle Tom's Cabin is the second Warrant record, maybe Warrant is allowed that leeway. But that, I mean, that's that song and that album cover and Bobby Brown and all that stuff happening just sort of it it puts a indelible mark on them that ca- they carry forward. And I'm sure Jamie Lane realized that, like, you kind of have to sell your soul <laughs> at that point. Um, I did read it. I thought it was funny. No, I mean, it's not funny, but it's sad when they when they got their first like big check for the first album. When they made money, he went out and bought a Corvette and like immediately crashed it, <laughs> which kind of yeah. sounds appropriate. That they that uh, I mean it was you know it was years for them to to get the deal and and get it going. So you indulge yourself, but I don't. Ha- I mean, I don't have a lot of complaints. I do agree with you. There's some stuff that does sound older. That sounds like oh, this would be basic warrant material versus oh this is a really interesting warrant material um and it does make me want to check out ultraphobic because i don't think i ever listened to that record even though it was in our stacks at the radio station for maybe five minutes in college i don't think uh i don't think that in belly to belly are on streaming so so i i was that's i've been looking that up to kind of recommend some stuff if you search for my on spotify if you search for ultraphobic or belly to belly um by the album title, it comes up, oh. but they're under a different warrant. There is a like a German metal band called Warrant, and for some reason, like if you look if you look at the Warrant Cherry Pie Dirty Rotten Filthy Stinking Rich Spotify page, um, those two albums aren't there. Mm, uh, but that's if you look so for them, weird, it, yeah, isn't one of those called Warrant ninety six as well? Like they they used a different name. Um, they put out a live album. Oh, okay. And there was a. No, I kind of think you're right. I thought on the cover of um of Belly to Belly, doesn't it? Isn't it kind of like ghosted, where it says Warrant ninety six? Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover right now. It says Warrant, and then underneath it says ninety six. Yeah, yeah. That is a terrible album cover, by the way. Yeah. You know, you know that is local band stuff right there. Yeah, it's pretty bad. You know, so the other thing is, um, there's a band called there's a band called Dog Eat Dog that put out an album called Warrant. Yeah. Yeah, I love when bands do that as like retaliation. <laughs> yes, for uh, for putting out the records uh, that uh, are close to them. You're right, Chip. Even on Apple Music, if you search by the album titles, you can find it. It's yeah. listed as the wrong. I think on Amazon page. Music, it's all correctly listed under Warrant. Because I, I know Bezos is a big Warrant fan. <laughs> He made sure that they got it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Warren fans unite. <laughs> there you go. Eric, is there anything, any criticisms of this record? Um, well, yeah, I, I think I think the criticisms are are the same. You know, I think some of the the heavier stuff um sounds a little 
it doesn't sound as special. I, I'm not even going to say it's 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 not bad, um, but it doesn't sound as as interesting. But but every note that I've taken, where I keep you know when it when it, when another one of the heavy songs comes up, you know, um, like for instance, Bonfire, I wrote, uh, you know, this is um, it's 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 got the most warrant subject matter, you know, meaning first two album kind of subject matter. Um, and then, and that it's, you know, it's fine, it, but the chorus elevates it in all cases, even the heavy songs, the chorus gets, you know, the chorus elevates it. So the, to me, the heavier songs are like maybe the, the weaker point, but the, the sequencing, as was mentioned, saves the day because you get some really interesting stuff in between each one. And then the heaviness maybe even acts as a little bit of a palate cleanser. You know, you get a little jolt. Uh, with a really catchy chorus, and then you get back to some more interesting stuff. Um, I mean, even Inside Out, which is like got this, you know, he's like in faux anger mode, you know, just like sc screaming out those lyrics. There's even like that weird point, I even wrote it down, where, where they go like, chigga chigga, oi, oi, oi. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, like, it just comes out, of, comes out of nowhere where they just like do a sing song, chigga chigga, oi, oi, oi. Who's doing that? You know, or at least what hair metal <laughs> band is doing that? And it it makes you smile and you go, all right, I'm, I'm in like, okay, he's, he's, and he get the mic out of my effing face, you know, all that at the end, it's like so silly, but oi, 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 saves the day. You know, it's just, it, you sing along with it. Sad Teresa, which I think is, you know, very interesting that that's that song had been around since, you know, the first album. I think that's a great album closer. And I'm not usually a fan of like the somber album closer, but that's a great album closer, you know. So I, I think that for me, it's a really great start to finish listen. And and even if even if the heavy songs are a little derivative of what would have been the previous Warrant sound. They just, you know, they're elevated by the choruses and they're spaced out enough to just, you know, you enjoy it. And then you and then you're back into listening to some 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 more unique and interesting stuff for the next two to three songs. So the whole thing works for me. Got it. Chip, anything from you? Like I'm like I, I so this may have taken down the cherry path, cherry pie path route and. I don't think it would have been enough to save them in 1992 from what was to come. Um, so I don't know that I necessarily would do this, but I was thinking about if there was anything that I would change. I would probably take Sat Teresa out and close the album with the cover that they did for that movie, Gladiator of Queen's We Will Rock You. Uh, they made a video for that song, too. Um, you know, you're on the Gladiator it, soundtrack? Like, uh, like a, I wasn't, I, not, not. Hold on. I was glad. Are they in movie. the movie too? Is there like a scene where they're playing at a bar? 
in in Rome. <laughs> no, 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 no. So this is this is a, this is the Cuba Gooding Jr. where he was a boxer. Oh, that gladiator! I yeah. thought you were talking about the Russell Crowe no gladiator. No. Are you not a... entertained? <laughs> we will, we will rock you. So okay. you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a pretty standard cover. There's nothing special okay. that special about it. Um, they release it as a video to promote the soundtrack. It's on. They put like a greatest hits album out right around like after Doggy Dog came out, and that was like the bonus track or this. That's that's where you could get it. But I don't know. I I, I might I might have thought about putting that on here and and kind of closing the album with the cover and something people recognized instead of Santa Teresa. I in my head. I hear the Sad Teresa from the demo cassette I got that was like super, you know, it was like a fourth generation cassette. So it always, it already kind of warbled a little bit and it was mainly really super acoustic-y and it was really an early version of that song. And so even on this record, I'm like, that's that really unfinished demo that I heard, even though this version is produced and everything, I, I can't shake that early thought of that. But, you know, a couple, like one thing I was thinking about too was, um, I don't, if they'd made a, an, I feel like, Fans of this era of this kind of genre, like video budgets were probably nothing. But like in my head, April twenty thirty one would have been a fascinating video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, okay. If this so, album had come out two years earlier, like I think they would have had a two million dollars to spend on it and made it this apocalyptic kind of after the war and gas masks and stuff. And it probably would have, if if this if that video had come out two years earlier, who knows what would have happened. So I I have you ever seen the video for the bitter pill? No, I'm, I'm it's on Apple. It's on Apple Music. I just checked it out. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. So you can tell it's like after the budget's been cut. So it's really bad production. It's just genuinely by himself walking around with an acoustic guitar. Oh, yeah, that's a terrible but video. But the worst part is the song is not the song from the record. It's just an acoustic version of the song. Which was on like a single that I had. Yeah. And, it's and he's, wearing, not, he's wearing a hat, right? He's wearing like a cow, not a cowboy hat. No, but like a black he's hat. like... He's got like a choker oh, oh yeah. yeah yeah necklace on and like an open shirt and like these like bell bottom pants and he's like walking around LA yeah by himself playing acoustic guitar which oh, does yeah. not fit the song on the record at all no. like the song on the record's got this like super cool production that's spacey and weird and then they get to that heavy part which is like explodes it, it's such a horrible disaster of a <laughs> mistake it's so clear like the record company's like yeah we're not giving you any money man so So you know what's what's interesting is there was actually there actually was another video with the electric version i forgot that i'd seen really yeah i'm kind of checking it out now they're like they're sort of in a in a look like a church looking thing i need to find that yeah wash my cleanse my palate here of the this acoustic version i just watched uh, you know, the other thing, though, like even in 2023, like Machine Gun and Hole in My Wall are still regular parts of the set. Like those Machine Gun, I pretty much since the time I've seen them has been part of the set list. Uh, Hole, in the wa- Hole in the Wall, I've seen them do that with Jamie St. James and with Robert Mason. Um, I feel like they pull Sad Teresa out. In fact, I think when I saw them this summer, they pulled Sad Teresa out. Um but I was looking up, at least according to Setlist FM, like they haven't played April 20. According to Setlist FM, they've never played April 21, 2031. Or, um, or maybe it was Andy Warhol that they haven't played live. They played April 2031, but not Andy Warhol was right. 
Yeah, it would hard to pull all that off. Yeah. I mean, even, even April 2031, you're going to be missing the kids. I mean, I guess unless you bring a bunch of kids <laughs> up on stage. <laughs> Everybody bring your kids to the show so they can sing with us on this dystopic futuristic song. That's but I slowly becoming true. The current lineup doing those songs, you know, like, I don't know. There's just this. I'd love to I'd love to hear it, you know, because I I. Uh, for, for me, this album and then Ultraphobic and then Belly to Belly, um, you know, I mix those songs routinely, like in a playlist. Like to me, those three albums are probably three of the most unheralded, undiscovered albums by like fans of this genre. You know, it's like it's like I would recommend you skip right over the first two albums with the exception of a couple of songs and you go right to number three, four and five. And unfortunately, you know, um, with the with the fact that Joey had left the band for the you know for ultraphobic and belly to belly, I don't think any of those songs ever get played. And probably the audience that comes to see them and wants to hear Cherry Pie and 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 Heaven and Down Boys wouldn't want to hear those songs. But man, I would I would love like just one show billed as you know songs from those three albums, tribute to Janie Lane, and and I would be there no matter where that concert was played in the country. I would so go when they did that 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 interview uh the like the the it was a live interview with the people the organizers of that rock the block festival and they were taking questions in the chat and i and i said have you ever thought about dusting off anything from ultraphobic or belly to belly and and uh uh jerry laughed because jerry was on that call and he said we would love to but nobody wants to hear that song the, the, he said our like the hardcore fans know those songs. He's like, but most people don't know any of those songs. And you know, we get seventy five minutes, and we're gonna play the songs people know. So as much right. as we we would like to play those songs, we're probably never gonna play them. Here, right. Here's some here's some trivia for you. Wasn't uh, James to Kotak and Rick Steyer from Kingdom Come the drummer and guitar yeah. player on those records? Uh, yeah, and I'm pretty sure like I I saw Warrant. So, you know, I, I saw them back in the day. I saw them headline a sold out Blossom Music Center, which is, I don't know, 20,000 maybe. And within like, and then within two or three years playing the Alro Sevilla, a half full Alro Sevilla. And I think James Kotak and Rick Steer uh, were in were in that version of the band for sure yeah. that I saw. James Kotak has his own name tattooed across his chest. <laughs> is that for identification oh. purposes? <laughs> it says Kotak right here in huge letters. You know, not he, mayhem. Kotak. What, uh, he he sadly is on the Janie Lane path. Uh -oh. He's he, I I read up on I tried to read up on a, a number of the former members of the band, and he's quite a surly character. Yeah, not somebody I'd want to hang out with. He, he blew a pretty cushy jig uh, gig with the uh, Scorpions, so. and he got fired from that gig. That's what I'm saying. He yeah, blew yeah. it, so there must be yeah. something out. The the last thing I want to mention is the album cover. So I think what's really cool about this one, I think it's a great album cover, like obviously high budget looks awesome. Just great graphic design. But I had this on the, um, on, I bought the CD when it came out and it came in the long box. Mm. And I'm pretty sure they designed this for the long box because Absolutely. the way the art works, there's two dog heads and it's like a tall orient, you know, aspect ratio. So once you got the, long box and i think i even kept the long box for a long time because there was no other way to like see the full artwork because once you fold it up you don't see it and i can see even on the vinyl version like they have to crop it down to get the fifth square <laughs> so you can see the whole thing yeah but but so they reissued the album last year or two years ago. music on vinyl put it out on vinyl 
Um, it actually had a vinyl release back in the day. Uh, Jay and Tim's former bandmate Keith told me at one point that he knew somebody. This made me so mad. He told me that he knew somebody that found the vinyl copy of the original release at uh, the record exchange in Cleveland for three bucks because it was like in a cutout bin because they're like, it's worn from 1992. Who's buying yeah. this record? And it's an impossible, before it was reissued, it's like you couldn't get it for under a couple hundred bucks. Wow. Uh, and that made me so mad that like, I, I've been to that store and I flipped through those records and I never came across <laughs> it. And I swear to God, before the reissue came out, every time I went to a record store, I always flipped through the W's. Um, so I'm glad it got the release, but even the re-release of it, yeah, they basically took the artwork. They didn't fill up the whole cover. They basically yeah. took the CD long box and slapped it. And so it's got a lot of gray around it. It looks like they took that cover and slapped it in the middle of the album cover. Yeah. So. I wondered why it looked like that. Cause yeah. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And then when you mentioned that it's supposed to be long, that I think, Jay, I think Jay's hundred percent right. I think they designed it for a long box CD and they didn't know how to re repurpose it for other uses. Yeah, I think at the time we had no idea like, oh, yeah, those boxes are not going to be around. <laughs> boxes are incredibly wasteful. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, Let's get into our overall ratings on this record. I will share the poll results from Patreon. But uh, I guess I'll go first since or should I go last because I'm the I'm the wild card. Jay, what do you want me to do here? You go last. They can be the okay. Be the wild card. Jay, you'll start. What do you, worthy yeah. album? Better EP? Decent single? It's, it's a worthy album. I mean, this era, this this transition point, I think, is super important to understanding the '90s. You know, as we go from what was popular in the '80s and the decade progresses there's like this friction point that happens between 91 and 93 4 where i think a lot of bands that were popular in the 80s like made some of their best records and actually michael wagner was involved with a, a couple more than one of those so you know them skid row molly crew poison winger like all made uh lost you know gems in a lot of people's eyes during that time. So this is my favorite Warren record. It's the one I listen to most. It's the one, if I want to hear Warren, I'm going to go back to, um, you know, it also benefits from the fact that like there weren't any big singles off it to get annoyed with and tired of, which is kind of nice. So like, you know, I, I don't really have any bad experiences with any of the, you know, songs on this record where it's like, Oh, I don't need to hear that ever again. So I think that helps as well. Um, and I just, it's a fun journey. It's a, to me, it's a fun record to put on and just kind of go with it. And you're going to hear a lot of, uh, a lot of range, a lot of talent. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a worthy album. Okay. I know this is probably, uh, perfunctory, but, uh, Eric, where do you land on this record? <laughs> yeah, definitely a word, a worthy album. And, and, uh, I agree. It's, it's probably my go-to, uh, with uh, Warren album, you know, with with Ultraphobic kind of slightly trailing behind. But um, and it's also the one that I, I recommend to everybody who has a built in opinion of of Warren, you know. Um, and I will say one thing. What's refreshing is like when I introduced my, you know, my kids to this record without any of that bias of of 80s to 90s hair metal to grunge or whatever. They think it's a great record. You know, they think it, it's, again, totally 
uh, singable and 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 instantly memorable and they enjoy it quite a lot and that's what i've always felt about about this record that it um it definitely stands way above you know most of the records put out by bands in the similar genre it's the most uh you know experimental as far as where i think this band was headed and um and continued to head a little bit but again to diminishing success unfortunately but you take all that out of the equation you just listen to the songs i this album doesn't sound 30 years old to me necessarily you know it's just as catchy as it ever was and and no i i'll love it for the next 30 years okay chip <laughs> i would say all of the Janie lane fronted worn albums are worthy albums okay interesting is there any jane Janie lane didn't sing on anything in the 2000s besides that cover album right the three um, albums I, that are came out I, of original material are other singers. Yeah, but I want not, not right, not Warren, but I think his solo record came out in the early two thousand. That Saints of the Underground, which was supposed to be John Karabi. So if you guys don't know about that band, I mean Eric does, but if Jay, do you know about Saints of the Underground? No, I don't. So it was supposed to be John. Kar- it was a super group. It was a project, really. It was John Karabi, uh, Carrie Kelly who is now in Night Rangers, been around in a bunch of bands. Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie Crane, who is a current Warrant bass player and bobby blotzer was the drummer oh wow and karabi whatever reason i don't know if he i don't quite know the history i don't know if karabi recorded the whole thing and then left and janie came in and re-recorded or whether they had a couple songs and then janie came in and joined um and that came out in the early 2000s and like eric said that that's a i i throw that one on not all the time but definitely i throw it on like i just love his voice i love his song yep. so it and both of those are like early 2000s i think probably 2003 4 or 5 something like that i think um 2003 was the solo record 2008 i just checked it uh, out the other day was saints but yeah you know nothing past 2010 yeah obviously didn't he step in and sing for great white for a minute yeah and you can find some of that stuff on on youtube and i thought i i was actually surprised that he sounded really good on that stuff yeah i could i could hear it I got to share a really quick Janie Lane story. So um, he did a solo show in Columbus at the Al Rosa. And that was during the time that he was, uh, he was, again, I, I read a lot of metal sludge. And uh, if you're not familiar with that, check it out. It's like a hair metal. Um, it's actually by, you know, a lot of people like actually show appreciation for that music, but it's almost poking fun, but also loving it. Uh, and so around the time he was very famous for kind of bumming cigarettes off the audience members and beers off the audience, really kind of, using the audience quite a bit and he didn't have a great reputation for either making it all the way through shows or sometimes not making it to shows at all uh disappearing from tours that was he was so anyway playing a solo show at the al rosa villa and uh i run into the drummer at the bar and i jokingly say so is Janie going to show up tonight and the drummer's like ah i don't know i haven't seen him and i'm like oh crap here we go again it's gonna like I, it was too good to be true that he was going to play at the Al Rosa and, and he's not going to show up. He came on stage. He killed it. His guitar player was Dario Lorena, who is now the Black Label Society guitar player. Mm. He discovered him when the kid was like 14 years old. I think when he was playing with Janie, he was like 16. Um, I get my picture with him. I, so I write a concert review for my blog and I get a comment from Janie Lane that says, I can't believe that asshole, my asshole drummer would say that. And 
to to leave a comment like you had to put your email address and so I, I was like there's no way Janie Lane left a comment on my blog <laughs> the email address was for his girlfriend at the time Sheila like I I recognized her name yeah from, and so I emailed back and I'm like wait is this really Janie Lane and he actually responded back and he's like yeah he's like he's like I know he was trying to be funny he's like but I'm I got a reputation to keep up now because I messed up so many times and he's like that doesn't really do me any good when he says that he's like we went out to dinner he's like i had dinner with them we dropped him off at the club i went back to the hotel and then i came so he was pretty pissed off that his drummer would say that um but we traded email and then he was and i i i told him how big of a fan i was and that i'd love to interview him and he actually sent me a note and he's like contact my manager whenever you want to do the interview and uh unfortunately i never did kick myself for that but the, we actually exchanged some some emails back and forth which was pretty amazing it's better than uh, your story's better than uh, I think it was probably the height of the cherry pies fame. We were at Cedar Point, um, hanging out, and rumor quickly spread that like Warrant was there. I'm guessing because he was from Ohio, they would just go there every time they played in, in Cleveland. So we yeah. spent the day just basically stalking. <laughs> Warrant, did you see him riding the Gemini? And yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't miss him. Yeah, <laughs> he's you know, rock stars walking around, you know, yeah. Sandusky, Ohio. They're hard to miss. <laughs> um, you know, sit out front of the boss. And at one point, you get close enough, and you're just like, "What? What? What do you say?" And my friend was just like, "You're awesome." <laughs> oh, I got, I got another really, really quick. Story. It was just so, like, "That's it. That's it." That's so, what you do. Uh, so around this time, this is when I discovered Blind Melon, and I may have told this story before on a podcast, but the first time I saw Blind Melon live, they opened for Soundgarden. And I'm in the lobby of the Newport Music Hall, standing with Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon, and we're talking, and Joey Allen from Warrant is in the lobby wearing his dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking rich leather jacket with the album artwork on the back. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and now keep in mind, like, Blind Melon is, this is when, once I've gone into the grunge, yeah. and, I, and I'm talking to Shannon, and I look over, and I'm like, my internally, I'm like, oh my God, Joey Allen is here. I should go up and say hi to him. And Shannon looks at me and he's like, I hate that asshole. He's like, that guy's all over LA and he's such a, you know, he, he just went off about LA hair rock. And he's like, that's everything I don't want my band to be. And then I'm like, yeah, man, I don't like that band. It's so afraid to go talk to him because I'm like, I do not want to show my true colors and, right, right. and go talk to Joey Allen. So I sort of like, uh, like inside, I was like shaking. I'm like, I gotta go talk to him. There, I, there was no way I was gonna do that. <laughs> Shannon, who that killed your amazing. fan girl? Like, oh, yes. he was he was he was in town because there was a, there was like a guitar show, and he was in town to be like this one of the special guests or autograph signings or something. That's why Joey was in town, and that's why he was at the Soundgarden show. But... Oh, it was like convergence, right? I mean, what an awesome time! Like, that's what I love about the fact that you guys do this you know like that where you where what other point in time were you going to have like a sound garden show with blind melon opening and the and and a member of warrant wearing his leather jacket <laughs> with the album cover <laughs> you know like wh where else is that going to happen that instantly makes me happy you know <laughs> that's a great story chip well i have to get around to my rating don't ruin this for us <laughs> here's what i'll say personally for me this is a worthy album i think that some people who aren't into this sound or warrant this isn't going to change their mind like to me this is just the refined really 
um, interesting version of Warrant that has like clicked with me. But if you know, you mentioned that your kids, Eric, listen to it without any preconceived notions. I think anybody that has preconceived notions is not going to like change them, or it's going to be really hard for them to change. So if somebody just grew up not liking hair metal, I don't think that this is going to change their mind. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to be in for the, let's just say, hard rock, melodic rock kind of thing to start with, for sure. Yeah, but I do think it's a worthy album, and it just so happens that the majority of our patrons do as well. Fifty-seven percent went with worthy album. Twenty-nine percent better EP. Fourteen percent decent single. So right. I don't know what the single is. Maybe they picked April 2031 as the single. <laughs> I hope so. Because <laughs> that's the one that sounds like uh, the least <laughs> what you're expecting, I guess, from from Warrant. Um, but that's how it shook out at Patreon. So not that's hey, that's not a bad result as far yeah. as I'm concerned for a for a, a, a Warrant album that people don't know that well. Eric, thank you for bringing this to us. If you had told me back five years ago when you picked Hank Dogs and then Neutral Milk Hotel the following year that we'd be talking about Warrant in 2023 <laughs> with you, I would have guffawed, but yes. I am not guffawing. Yes. No, I know. Well, you, we'll you contain multitudes. Yes, that I was I was going to say, but yes, we'll see what next year brings. I'll try and keep uh keep you guessing. And and I feel like Eric's gotta get his picks in. He's got about eight more years to see if April 2031 actually comes because after that, there probably won't be any more picks, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's either going to come true or it'll be like Blade Runner where we're just like, this didn't happen. God, yeah. like when, when that when this album came out and that song came out, I was like, 20, that's so far away. I know. To, I'm going to be I had old. The same I'm going to be so old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I listened to the lyrics and looked at the date, I was like, yeah, we're pretty much on track for that. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but thank you, Eric. This was a great pick. I uh, really enjoyed adding this to our our collection of uh, 90s Misfits albums from the from the hair band. We've done Skid Row's Subhuman. We've done Motley Crue's, uh, was it uh, self-titled? Yeah. And then uh, is there any other ones that we've done from that era that I'm missing, Jay? I don't did, think so. I think those it, are the. It's not hair metal, things. but did, you did some. Did you do Warrior Soul? That was kind yeah, of we did Warrior Soul in the same time period, and we've done yeah. King's X, and we've done LSD, Saigon Life, Kick, Sex, and Death. We've done Life, Sex, and Death. So we've been hitting like the the outliers. We've done Circus of Power. Did you do Love done... Hate? No. no. Okay, and you haven't done Poison's Native Tongue yet, right? We've talked nope. about it in this podcast. Okay, no, nope, haven't touched that. Uh, obviously, we've and we've done Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion One and Two. Many, many. It was episode two hundred, I believe, with. Uh, with that one back uh chip did you, you joined us for that right yeah yeah that was 200 episode 200 we're like so proud like we made it to 200 we're gonna do a big episode with guns and roses little did we know 600 or 489 episodes later we'd be still going and still talking about guns and roses tangentially <laughs> um i want to remind everyone who's listening that if they would like to suggest a record or vote in a poll like this or vote in our monthly album tournament polls, they can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. 
You can suggest those albums at digmeoutpodcast.com. It's also where you can go to sign up for the box newsletter, which comes out every week, new releases, uh, 80s, 90s, and aughts, music, books, television shows, documentaries, all that kind of stuff. And Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback for the show. So for Jay, I'm Tim. Chip, thank you for joining us, by the way, coming in on a a special uh, guest appearance. I appreciate uh, Eric letting me letting me bust in <laughs> of course no it was great the more the merrier when it yes. comes to warrant uh because they had 23 we should have 23 people on this in honor of warrant's members <laughs> tried to match the uh the match the effort there but uh for jay i'm tim we're out we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out <laughs>